Welcome back and welcome to episode 50. We're still on the air staff in Northern Virginia and, well, my first time in Northern Virginia since I live here now. I guess you have figured out that I kind of like it here. After this assignment, I almost thought I was going to settle somewhere else. My quest is to find that little boy named Nevik. Maybe one of my listeners might be having a son soon, and it will happen. Oh well, one can only hope. Just remember, you don't need a Kevin to have a Nevik. One of the things that drives me batty, well, there are lots of things that drive me batty, but one of the biggest is that when I see a flag being flown upside down, I just don't get it. You put the flag up, you look, and make sure it's right. Yet, it happens. On one of my trips to San Antonio to the Air Force Services Agency was one of those times. I was driving up to the lease building that we were in just up from the airport, and there was a Holiday Inn just before you got to the building. What did I see? The American flag upside down. I stop. I go in and ask for the manager. I let him know that the American flag is being flown upside down. Oh, it is? Well, we'll take care of that tomorrow when we put it up. No, no, really, I think you should take care of it today. And before I left the parking lot, I did see a man pulling the flag down to fix it. While I'm on the subject, I was in Union Station in Washington, D.C. about the same time, and I was walking with a friend from the parking area, which is above the station. As we approached the escalator down, there are flags from around the world flown against the wall. I walk by and I see the flag for China. It's backwards. Even though the flags are flown vertically, you can still see if one is backwards and China was. Although I'm sure my friend wasn't happy that I needed to fix this, I go to the office and I address it. They are respectful and I'm pretty sure they thought I was Chinese and that's why I was telling them. You'll learn that this isn't the last time that I would find myself in this situation. In fact, two of the times that I discovered the issue were in other countries, and I did handle it very delicately, as you'll learn. The other piece of this is that sometimes you'll see these huge American flags being flown, oftentimes at big buildings or at car dealerships. And I'll see them, and they'll be highly tattered, because, well, they're very expensive. It's still wrong. My work is never done. Okay, so back to the office. Since we're ensuring that all of our employees had complete career progression plans, one that needed to be taken care of was for the commissioned officer corps. Before the merger, MWR had a recreation course that was, let's go with, okay at best, and services had their courses at the Air Force Institute of Technology, as I mentioned two episodes ago. We needed to not only integrate accession courses, we also needed to provide a more defined career path, not only because of the diversity of the organization, very unique from other organizations, also because of the way our officers grow through the organizational structure as they get promoted. On the enlisted side, services, more specifically food service, was, a, was what some would call um a dumping ground for personnel that either lost their clearance or didn't make it in another career field. This was widely known at the time, even when I was enlisted, and it creates problems in terms of overall morale. 
We needed to work to prevent this by stepping up the training for those who are cross-training into the career field. By doing this, we would also further enhance the career field and help ensure that those coming in would have a modified accession training requirement. The training that we created was the star of Just-In-Time, or JIT training, and included what was relatively new at the time, distance learning, to save costs while providing the necessary technical knowledge. Now, the Air Force did have some forms of distance learning because self-study career development courses and correspondent professional military education certainly are considered distance learning. What we did was to integrate some training that would be done by video, and this was relatively new at that time. So we were tackling education and training at all levels. We increased the numbers of services officers to earn master's degrees in hospitality management at recognized uh, universities around the country, ramped up learning opportunities for all employees, and helped provide better career progression within the organization. It was paying off, and we could already see some benefits. About this time, one of my appraisal's endorsements by a general officer said, one of the most impressive officers I've seen, and one of the first to integrate distance learning, markedly reducing travel and time. He also helped to reduce Guard and Reserve Troops training from three years to one by simply aligning training with active duty troops. Now, that last point was one that was one of those, why don't we do this scenarios? Because the most obvious answers are sometimes right in front of you, but not seen because it's been done the same way for years. By now, we also finally published the new Air Force Instruction for Services, Education, and Training. Oh, now the Air Force did change its name of these kind of directives. They used to be called regulations, which everybody understood. They changed the words to Air Force Instruction. It didn't have any less impact. It just changed the name because sometimes that's just what we do. We were the only career field with an instruction that was in addition to what personnel had published about overall Air Force education and training, because personnel is the office that is generally responsible for the overall training of the force. However, we argued that as the only organization with enlisted officer, non-appropriated fund, appropriate fund, guard and reserve, and contractors all in the same organization, we needed a greater framework. This included all the elements that I've shared with you, as well as a more delineated progression from what personnel had in the past. In fact, it was absent for many of our people. Eventually, personnel acquiesced, and it was completed. I was still working with improvements in the non-appropriate fund process for base closures, and occasionally was challenged with other assignments because of my past work in the financial management at both ACC and my first job on the air staff. One of these projects was to get more appropriate funds for services vehicles. We have a lot of facilities in both B and A categories, which are authorized vehicles. However, it's a fight with transportation because, like personnel, when you're trying to do something in your organization that seems to... Um, Let's go with step on their turf. It's riddled with controversy and elevated to the principles. 
Now, three other officers were trying to do this and were unable to complete the task. I got approval in just 30 days. I took a lot of satisfaction in taking on projects that were deemed not attainable and then getting it done in short order. Sometimes you have to go back to that old thing I tried a long time ago, or actually not a long time ago, but early in my time on the air staff, of we don't wear a T H E M on our uniforms. We wear a U.S. The more you can get rid of the us versus them attitude, the more that you can get done. Now, General Lisey was promoted and went on to a more senior position on the air staff and then to DOD. I was pretty sad to see him go because he was both a champion for me as well as a mentor that really started when I was at Osan as a second lieutenant when he was at PACAF. Of course, Mr. Myers was still the deputy, so I had good cover. The new leader was a colonel who was waiting to pin on his first star. He had no services experience, and that's always a challenge for any organization, much less our complex one, when the leader has no idea, no understanding of the mission, organization, or career field. We really needed to start growing our own senior leaders, and that was another reason for both the AFI and the career progression plans that went all the way up to senior leaders. This was especially true for the officer corps. Services is a tough business, and getting to full colonel before this point was difficult. I'd like to think that the work we did in those early years helped to provide a better foundation for today's Air Force. Once the new leader pinned on his SAR, he didn't last much longer. I don't recall how long it was, it was pretty short. Sadly for the organization, it was pretty much just a parking spot until he pinned on his star. The one thing that we remember about him was when he left. As is the case for anyone, a hat is passed to collect money to buy a gift for the person that's leaving, especially a senior leader. We learned that he tried to get a cash refund for the gift. I'm sure you know how the staff reacted. Yes, you're right. About this time, the Air Force decided that we needed to have the right leader in charge of this huge enterprise and not be a parking spot like the last one was. After all, we were our own directorate and we needed stable, experienced leaders. The position was going to be realigned from a one star billet to a billet that could be a one star general or a senior executive service civilian. A senior executive service or SES civilian is equivalent to a general officer. I was helped to ask with the language in the position description because I had pretty good skills at doing that kind of work. I was happy to help. The process is long and the process is slow. The numbers of SES are limited, and so getting approval for the position as well as the language right is not an easy task. Fortunately for me, I didn't have to do the justification for the position side. As the career field manager, I would often go to different bases to see how the plan was actually being used at the base level. This is not always the case with some areas, and really it should be. After all, it's easy to make policy in the Pentagon as long as you don't know if it's going to work for the personnel at the base. This time, I was at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. The squadron commander's secretary said I had an urgent call to call the secretary's office. I remember her comment was, wow, that secretary must think she's some important person. 
she didn't realize that the top Air Force person is called the Secretary of the Air Force. I called back, and within the office, an action officer was looking at our submission for the SES position and needed some more information. I was listed as the action officer. They needed me to make some changes and get them back quite quickly. I called our offices to see how we were going to proceed and got the information that they needed. To close out the story, it was eventually approved. Mr. Myers was promoted to the position of Director of Air Force Services in January 1988 and eventually went on to serve as a Principal Deputy for the Department of Defense. In my view, no better person could have been the first civilian director because he had the experience, the relationships, and perhaps most of all, he had the respect from the chief of staff to the newest airman or civilian employee. I remain pretty proud of my contributions to make all of that happen. One of the benefits of being on the air staff was that some of your work goes to very high levels and you get experience working congressional issues, like when I was working on that issue with the base closure. Since the congressional mandate for the category A, B, and C was finalized, there was a panel on MWR within the House Appropriations Committee, and they would check from time to time to see if we were complying with the rules. Some of the services were not, and now there were hearings on the Hill. The Air Force wasn't doing what the other services were, yet, of course, we had to still prepare testimony and our principals would appear before the committee. Fortunately, for what we were doing with the categories and funding for A, B, and C, we're on track and we were complying with the rules. And it sounded like some of the members on the committee that they were going to reallocate funds in the next budget from the Air Force to the other services to bring them up to our level. Luckily, that didn't happen. The other services, however, were told to benchmark off the Air Force's programs and accountability, and that for us, that was certainly the better outcome. Some of the staff got to go to the hearings both just to observe and some to provide the principal with information if they needed it to respond to a question by a committee member. Now, I have been on the air staff for just over four years with the ill-advised extensions. Oh, well. Now, by now, I have 18 years of combined service. Here's one of the ways that the Air Force keeps people either in the service or moves them on either by the member's choice or the Air Force's choice. An officer comes up for promotion, and if promoted, it can take up to a year to pin on the new rank, and then you're locked into a three-year commitment. And then you go to intermediate or senior service school in residence, and it's two more years. And then in about another year, you're coming up for another promotion, and the circle goes round and round. It seems like you never have a chance to get off the merry-go-round, because, of course, A, getting promoted is a good thing, and going to school is also a good thing because you likely would need that, especially in residence, for promotion. So it's about time for me to come up for below the zone for promotion to major. 
Below the zone can happen two years or one year before your expected promotion board for promotion. As each grade is increased, the percentage of those promoted decreases. In addition, for those promoted below the zone, that means someone in the zone won't get promoted, since Congress dictates the numbers of officers strength by grade. So, for someone like me with prior enlisted service, you have to first make sure you have as many years of commission service as enlisted service to retire as an officer, which I had. So now you have to really think: What are you going to do? I knew I couldn't get another extension, and certainly not for two more years. So I had to definitely take another assignment. I was made for the air staff. Being part of making policy for the entire force was both satisfying, and I had done it now in several areas on the staff, from finance to lodging, and then to education and training. And the last one, for me at least, was the most satisfying. So what to do? What to do? Well, I'm a rebel. I should have been looking at going to a base. Going from the command staff to the air staff was also not the recommended career path. They like you to go to a base in between those kinds of assignments. So the timeline that I went from ACC to the air staff, remember, was very early in my career. So that meant I wasn't likely going to a command position. As a captain without a line number to major, going to an operations officer position would be a step back. And while there were deputy positions where the base services leader was still a civilian, those were at relatively small locations and considered kind of equivalent to an operations officer. There were just a very small handful of captain commanders. Again, they were at very small locations, and I wasn't really sure that a one was available and b whether that was really best for my career. If I decided to stay, after assessing my options, I decided to apply for an Air Force ROTC instructor position. My bosses told me it's not a good idea. You won't get promoted. You'll lose your chance at command. It's a career-ending job. That. Was the conventional wisdom then about these jobs? My thinking, and still is, if there is a position, it must be an important job. Otherwise, the Air Force wouldn't waste officer billets. And you may remember that story with the young airman that was out there washing pots and pans. Every job in the Air Force is important. Paving my own path, I decide I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for the Air Force ROTC instructor position. That process is a curious one. Suffice it to say that I learn how it works, and when you apply, you get to select where you want to go based on the projected openings. At least then, there was a curious nuance. If you didn't get the location that you asked for. Or if they offered you another location and you still didn't want that location, you could turn it down without any repercussions. Because normally, you turn down an assignment. There are so lots of the locations didn't look that enticing. Of all the possible options, the one that I was very interested in was at the University of Texas at Austin. There was a couple of reasons. First, it is a highly respected school. And I was thinking, if I find the right school, I could finish my ROTC tour there, retire, 
and hoped for a position at the institution. At the end of the ROTC tour, I'm going to have 21 years of service. It's perfect. This was all going to work out. Don't you love an evil plan? We'll see what happens next week. Now, it's just about this time, a little before this actually, that I call my lost decade. It was beginning. In hindsight, I think I have a handle on what was happening. While I wasn't diagnosed with PTSD for another five or six years, that's what it was. I truly want to use my voice in the podcast to both help others understand a bit better both the kinds of PTSD that exist and what the impact is. I'm not an expert, I'm not a psychologist, and I'm not going to give medical advice. My experiences also aren't going to be like another. What will be similar is that many of the symptoms and ways that, imp- that it impacted my life can be typical for others. What I'm going to try to do is put this all into a palatable way, as difficult as it will be, from what I've learned years later as I look at this through hindsight. What I know now is that I've likely had what I'll call fragments of PTSD from the time I learned that I was discarded at birth and as I experienced the episodes that I've shared of Purple Rain in my podcast. With each, there was a growing of seeds planted that were sprouting, if I can use that analogy. There were additional situations of Purple Rain that I simply cannot share within the podcast because they are simply too horrible. My perspective is that all of these were stored way back in my mind and were somewhat dormant because of both the busyness of my life and perhaps in hindsight, that was my own unintentional coping mechanism. Further, and this is an important point, during the course of my career, to seek help would be highly problematic. From Osan, I did seek some help from base chaplains because of confidentiality. My message is that anyone who does experience PTSD, getting help is both easier and less stigmatic than it was even a decade ago. For those who experience trauma, then you should definitely seek help. There are so many new ways that they're addressing and attacking. PTSD than ever before, and it's much easier to get that help today. At this point in my life, remember, I'm no longer in school, no longer working a second job, and on the staff, it's normally a typical 40 to 50 hour work week and not the longer hours that sometimes you have at a base, especially in services. Add to that, on a personal note, I'm not seeing anyone. And the military is generally getting used to the don't ask, don't tell environment. I'm sure you can guess that there are some who still have skepticism, homophobia, and there are also some, in my view, in fact, a majority, who have either no opinion or that it isn't on their mind or an issue for them at all. So, with that foundation, what I'm going to try to do is integrate what I go through in. What I'm calling this lost decade, in hopes that it helps others who have similar questions in their mind about what's going on around them. 
Next week, we'll finish up on the year staff and hear about how I'm planning my next career move and what actually happens outside of my plan. It's a pretty exciting period on a number of fronts, and I hope you'll continue to join me in the journey. And I always thank you for listening. Have a great weekend.